0: 1988 to 2006, I was a campus minister for about 10, 12 years. Then I migrated to almost all college and professional sports. So that's where John and I got connected. I was associate pastor in that same time frame. And in 2004, I moved to Houston to lead a church. And I was pretty successful at it. Um, The first... After the first two months of being there, the senior pastor who agreed to let me be the lead and he be the associate split the church. And uh, for the first three months of being a senior pastor, I spent most of my time either talking people in the stay or saying bye as they left. That's how I started my pastoral senior pastor career. So, John, you had some rough bumps probably along the way. That was that was so I did that for about three years, and uh, I, at that time, was married, had four wonderful kids, and they're all grown now, and my wife decided to divorce me. And uh, part of me was like, I was the nerd of the group, right? Y'all, everybody's always got one nerdy friend, right? Raise your hand. You got one. one I'm John's nerdy friend, just in case you wonder. <laughs> That's why he keeps me on the board. (laughs) Now, some of y'all are not laughing because you are that nerdy friend. (laughs) But I'm such a nerd that I just figured if I can't manage my household, I probably shouldn't be in ministry. Now, there was no accusations or uh, you couldn't. Like, I was such a nerd that I got teased and Chris probably used to do it with all the other wives, I was a pure side hugger. And it wasn't even a strong side. It was just kind of like, hey. (laughs) Because I was always cautious of coming off as a flirt or that's how nerdy I was. But I I said, you know what? If I can't keep it together, then I need to resign. I resigned. And about a year later, my wife filed papers to divorce me. And uh, so I went back into my college degree which was construction management or cost estimating, cost engineering. And kind of what my job is, is engineers design it. And because I have an engineering background, I take their designs and figure out what the total cost is. I present it to a manager or they bring it up the corporate ladder. They make a decision. I told John, my job is basically different than like, you know, cars. If you don't like them after a while, what do you do with it? You sell it, you trade it in, or you give it away, right? Well, a $10 billion chemical plant, you can't just trade it in. You can't just sell it. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't work like so. They constantly fixing stuff, upgrading, so forth. So that's part of what I do now. So this pastor thing is cost estimator, Daryl. Everybody say that. Cost estimator, Daryl. Say it one more time. Cost estimator. So next time you hear John say Pastor Daryl, you go, oh, oh no, no. Cost estimator, Daryl. <laughs> All right, enough about me. All right, so as I was thinking about coming and speak, I don't speak as often as I used to. And uh a lot of my older friends that are pastors um still want me to come and talk. I think I talk better on a personal level just sitting around with you. But they still think I should get up in front of people. So part of me loves them enough to get up here and hopefully share something that'll help you. Okay? Y'all ready? It's only gonna take two hours, but I'm gonna get it done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I wanna to talk to you about the committed life today. You know, if you were to actually look in the mirror and said, what's my life consist of? It consists of many commitments that you made along the way. Now we don't have many young people in here when I say young like teenagers cuz they don't even know how to spell commitment but but most of us who you know you in your 20s you know you you in your 40s 50s roaring 60s you know outstanding 70s we got any 70 year olds in here Oh we got 1 2 okay yeah oh 80 All right man that's that's pretty impressive um but that's what our life really is. You can call it choices. You can call it whatever you want. But we're all committed to something. Now, I know what you think. And I can read Eddie's mind. He's like, dude, I know this dude so lazy. He ain't committed to nothing. That's what you think, right? Sometimes, let me tell you, the lazy dude, guess what he committed to? Being lazy, right? <laughs> oh, the selfish guy, man, he ain't committed to nobody. Guess who he committed to? Self. And, you know, the thing I was thinking about commitment is if you're if you're in that mid 20s or older, we all have somebody out there. We admire their commitment, don't we? Let's be honest, like I'm a sports guy. I played point guard for Oregon State many moons ago. And uh, so I I like to hear these stories like everybody likes the first Rocky movie, right? Everybody seen that one? You know, you just like, oh, and one of my college teammates, Gucci's roommate, too, we used to watch the one with, when he went to fight Drago, and he's out there doing the sit-ups and all this stuff. We are, I'm just telling you, we love to see committed people. That's why Tom Brady is such an icon. How many of you have never, who, who in here hasn't heard of Tom Brady? Raise a hand. You know Why? The guy is so committed. They said that after the Super Bowl, when guys are knocking out shots, guess what he's knocking out? Avocado shots. (laughs) I'm like, this dude is so committed to football and being some great football that he would let his wife and kids go. That's why I stopped the admiration at that point. We look at LeBron James, you know, Laker down here. Spends what? $1 million, $2 million on his body. And I'm thinking, what are you doing with two? I mean, what, what costs that much did you spend $2 million? But part of me is like, that guy is in great shape. His body's physical. All of us are committed to something. The rest of your life, you're going to have to make commitments. Commitments to do something or not do something. And the way it works in America, you know what we really, our commitments are? Getting paid. Having fun, being happy. Come on now, let's be honest. Most divorces happen because of what? Somebody, no, it's, I ain't happy. Now, you might not be happy with the money you got, but you may be. Happiness is our commitment top to bottom. We are committed, oversaturated with the idea that, hey, I want to be happy. And if this doesn't make me happy, I'm not in it anymore. Commitment. It's a sobering word, but it's not a dirty word. Commitment. I was thinking about, uh, as I was putting these thoughts together, I was thinking about TJ Blue. And John called me about, I guess, a month, no more than a month ago, and said, hey, man. T.J.'s going to what Navy SEALs call Hell Week, and I'm trying to get together people to pray for him 24 hours. Would you be willing to? Now, you don't have to pay the whole hour, but just during that hour slot, commit to a week of praying for him. And so T.J. shows up at the house the other night, and the first question I asked him, because John was describing to me the kind of stuff they put these dudes through. And I think John's a tough guy, right? Yeah, how many of y'all been around John in like hockey or seen him really get in there and mix it up, okay? John is a tough guy. He used to try to play basketball. Keyword, try. He would come in there with us other athletes, even though he told us the hockey guys were the best athletes in the world. Don't have that that debate with them. (laughs) And John would come in and he would just be like this, little dude who would set picks. So in basketball, you dribble the ball, a guy's guarding another guy comes and holds his body, right? John was just so tough, he would. So I would want John on my team sometimes just to set picks because he was tough. And you could see all the scars on his face. Those aren't from Chris. Those are from uh, all his (laughs) hockey days. But I was thinking, I said, I said, TJ, when did you make the commitment? Like, John was like, they got four hours of sleep in a week. You imagine how most of you would be if you didn't get four hours of sleep in one night? I can tell you I wouldn't be in a very good mood. (laughs) This dude got four hours of sleep in one week. I said, when did you make the commitment that you wouldn't quit? And he said, well, everybody who goes there. I said, no, 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 no. Some dudes don't make it. You know why they don't make it? Somebody help me out. Why don't they make it? Not they not committed. See, I'm impressed with people who make the commitment. A neurosurgeon. That guy goes to school all these years, and the commitment he makes, his skill of his hands. Now, a neurosurgeon probably don't impress you out here. You're probably more impressed with a plastic surgeon out here, right? <laughs> Oops, I didn't say that out loud, did I? We're impressed with people who lose weight. You see a friend, man, you look good. Oh, I lost 25 pounds. I remember last time I came, John uh, used to always have this joke, oh, fat white guy, right? And he really wasn't that fat, but he, for him it was fat, right? And uh, so he said the joke last night, and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You old and white, but you ain't fat no more. <laughs> And I tell you what, John told me last time he was on the intermittent fasting diet where you just eat it from 12 to 8. And uh, we tried that last night, but we went over the top before (laughs) 8, eating desserts and all that. It doesn't work if you do that, right? (laughs) But I can tell you, I was impressed with the fact that John was, you know, younger than me, but he was much leaner than me. I got another friend, lost 90 pounds. I'm like, dang, dude. You commit Now, truth be known, I'm fortunate. My metabolism was still probably runs better than most. And, you know, I don't eat as much as I used to, but still. I mean, I got a little bit of pooch, but, you know, the older ladies like the pooch, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> it is true, right? When women get older, they want the dude to have the pooch, Right. <laughs> all right so i believe the most important commitments you can make are relational commitment to marriage commitment to parenting commitment commitment to be a good sibling relational stuff but the greatest commitment you can make is what to god now i know we have all kind of phraseology what we talk about being a christian but let me tell you In its basis, in its foundational understanding, it's a commitment to God. What's that commitment look like? Love and trust. Because it's relational based. I always tell people, you can be committed and not have love, but you can't have love without being committed. See, God so loved the world, he gave. He's committed. God's generous. His love is expressed through generosity, mercy, grace, uh, 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 kindness, long-suffering. He gives, but he also disciplines. And that's the saddest tragedy of our lives is that in our culture today, we assume love is all about feeling good. Love you, bro. Hello? Hello? Come on now, y'all ain't the, look, I ain't the only one, now, some of y'all are older, y'all don't hear it as much as I do. Everybody loves everybody, don't they? And I'm thinking, if that's the truth then, how is this world so messed up? If everybody loves love you, bro, when I hear that, I just stop and say, does bro know what love really is? John tell me he love me. I know he does. If I was struggling or needed something, he'd get, take the shirt off his back and give it to me. If he say, I love you, bro, I, I know he gets it. I'll be honest with you. I probably shouldn't say this out loud. But sometimes my kids will say to me, love you, dad. I'm like, you really know what that means? See, love is a commitment, too. I was thinking about this. If, if God says, He disciplined those he loves. And if a parent disciplines their kids because they love them, and I think, can can parents still discipline their kids? Okay. Some places they can't, okay? (laughs) But those of you who remember, like, being in school and your parents gave your teacher, not high school or middle school, but your elementary teacher the green light, the discipline. And you think, oh, what do they do? Sit you in the corner with a dunce cap on your head? No. I had my fourth, fifth, and sixth grade teacher. They had a broken leg off a wooden chair. And if you wanted to go at them, they'd be like, come on right down the aisle. <laughs> they would go at you. And when you got done with them, guess what you got when you got home? Not an, oh, baby, we need to go talk to that teacher. You know what you got? get in there right now and pull them down. So you you could tell i never got in trouble, right? (laughs) I did, man. I was too afraid of that stuff. So if I used to, when I disciplined my kids, I would say, look, here's why I'm doing this. Because I'm going to discipline you to keep you from being a fool when you grow up. I said, because I will discipline you with mercy. But life will not. You do know that. Life will, they'll send you to prison, no mercy. They don't care how you feel, they don't care what's going on, they don't know, care what you, if you mean, meant it or not, didn't mean it. We think love is about feeling, it is. But it's not only feeling, it's commitment. I can say that because if if you were to be around me like John and Chris for all these years, they know I'm a high commitment guy. So this is the easy message for me. But I know I live. I'm talking to Californians. Dude, let's surf. (laughs) Hey, hey. Dude, I'm feeling right. I ain't saying all y'all do that. (laughs) I just wish we would define what love really is. And I think in our definition, we need to talk about commitment. Secondly, not only love, commitment is love, but with God is trust. Every relationship you have, the basis of a real relationship is trust. You can't trust somebody. You're not going to have a relationship with them. You can try, but you're not really going to have a relationship. And I, was, I wrote my note, like, trust can be as simple as you sitting in that seat. When you showed up this morning and you saw that chair, did you walk up to it and go, kind of make sure that it mechanically could hold you? Did you? Did you test it? You just looked at it and said, oh, I'm going to trust that if I sit in that chair." even though i got five more pounds because of Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying, that that chair is going to hold me up. That's basic trust. We do that every day. You go in your car, you crank it, you trust it, it's going to turn on. That's simple trust, right? But it gets more complex when you get in church world. You know what I'm talking about, right? So Pastor John will get up and say, hey, we got giving envelopes. And everybody just kind of not everybody, but you start thinking, like, okay, giving. Some of you go, oh, yeah, giving, that's a part of being a good Christian. Others you go, like, wait, you dude can speak okay, and I like his wife. She seems real bubbly, you know? <laughs> 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 hey, but this $25 I'm thinking about giving, this $25 that I'm thinking about giving. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to crank it up. This $100 is painful to think about giving. And I ain't saying some people, could. you could be in this room and 100 bucks is a lot. But let me tell you something. It is trust to say, hey, I trust that John is this leader of this church, that he's working with other leaders in the church. And if I give the money that God asked me to give, which is a tithe, that I'm going to trust that these folks are going to do what they're supposed to. Let me give you a tip. Even if they don't use the money right, God will still honor your giving. Now, I don't want to give you some prosperity gospel where, man, if you tithe, boy, you'll get you a nice car, you'll upgrade your house. That's not what tithing is about. What's the word I just said? It's trust. Can you trust God? That's That's why God says, test me in this thing. You notice he didn't say test you in some other stuff, like test me and go marry that woman. Test me and go buy that house. Test me in this thing. What? Giving. I don't get anything out of here. I paid for my own flight. John paid for my food. Chris paid for my housing by making up the bedroom and guest room in her house, okay? I ain't getting nothing out of this. But I got enough sense. Let me tell you where, living on both sides of the fence. I used to be in ministry. Now I'm not in ministry. You know what I do on Sundays? Anybody want to guess what I do on Sunday mornings? I do what? Uh, I love golf, but I go to church. Now I play golf after church. How many of you think I still give? Never stop. Hey, I'm reminded today I'm at church. So when I get done, probably sitting in the airport, I'll go to the church I go to and I'm gonna go online and say, okay, here's my tithe, boom. See, we can all talk this, oh, I love Jesus. <laughs> Commitment, trust. How do they play in? Let me give you a picture of commitment and trust. So, so many of us think when we talk about money, we think that the church is trying to get our money. I remember being in college, we were playing in Oakland and this professional athlete, he was a high big name guy back at the time, played for the Portland Trailblazers. That's as much clues as I'm gonna give you. So I had to go back to the room. We were getting ready to go out to eat. And I had to go back to the room, and it so happened three of my teammates bumped into this guy. Well, they knew about us, and we knew about them. And this guy was like the top guy on the team. And my teammate was A.C. Green, remember, former L.A. Laker, right? He was the last guy to cut that Jerry Curl out of his (laughs) hair. If if you don't remember him from being a good player, that's the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was the last of the mohegan jerry Hugg, jerry curl mohegans <laughs> but so ac was a little more diplomatic than me so ac was trying to invite him like man you need to go to church And he's like oh man i would go to church but all they want is my money so he left i'm coming down the hall hey man and they was like dude we just ran into so and so and AC invited him, told him about church, and he told him. I said, he better be glad I was here. I wasn't here, because I'd have told him this. You can take that money and shove it up your bleep. Now, I don't cuss, so I would have just said bleep. (laughs) See, the issue is not how much money you have, but how much money has you. Did you get that? It's not how much cash flow you got. It is and it isn't like if you can't afford to pay your rent, you can't do any of those things. When I talk to people about giving, I will tell tell them, look, why don't you go on a progressive curve? If you're not giving anything, start giving something and then start challenging yourself more and more to give. Because let me tell you something. We're making an investment not for now. If you give so you can get now, you're in trouble. Because that bubble's going to pop at some point. You give for eternity. I'm setting up treasure in heaven. I don't, what I, whether I get a good job or don't have a good job, if I make a lot of money or don't make a lot of money, that's not why I give. All right, I'm done with that one, okay? You will be tested. Every commitment, marriage commitment, parenting commitment, and your commitment with God be tested. Most of you heard of the book of Job. Some of you might call it Job. It's the Old Testament book of wisdom. And in the book of Job, think about this. Listen to this. It is actually the first inspired book in the Bible. Chronologically, they put it in the wisdom literature. But technically, if you put it in chronological order, they could argue that it was the first book written because the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. And Moses was was going off oral tradition up until Exodus. So when you read Genesis, it's Moses writing a book, but he wasn't alive then. He didn't come come into the picture until about Exodus 4, I believe. So all that stuff, he's going off oral tradition. But they believe that Job lived before um, uh, Moses, obviously, and may have lived before Abraham or sometime after Abraham. But it's the first book of the Bible. Anybody know what Job is about? It's about a man who was righteous, feared God, and was doing the right thing, and God did what? Test him. What was the test? This is the test all of us will face. You may not face them all, but he faced them all. The test of health, the test of relationship, and the test of finances. Job lost all his possessions. His kids got wiped out because they were heathens. And then he got boils all over his body. And then he had to figure out like, am I still going to stay committed to God? Now, I want to get into the meat of what I'm going to say and wrap it up. Put up, if you could, Seth, I want you to look at the story of John the Baptist, because I think this epitomized commitment to the max. It says, when Jesus was finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Then Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you've heard, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is... Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is the one who is, not, who is not offended, actually, in the translation he's got up, offended by me. So here's the scenario. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. Six months older, supernaturally. His parents were old. The mom got pregnant at the 6 months later her cousin Mary the virgin Mary had was conceived a child by the holy spirit they had one encounter that we know of as as you know teenage women Mary being teenager uh, and, her, and her and her cousin being older and they had the spiritual encounter where the holy spirit showed up We never hear of any interaction between John and Jesus Though they may have had some, you know, some family reunions. I don't know what they did in Jerusalem back then, but they probably had some kind of gatherings. But we have no knowledge of it in the scripture. The next time we see them encountering, it was as adults and Jesus about to start his ministry. And John the Baptist Baptist baptizes Jesus. After that baptism comes down from heaven, boom, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased John confirms this is the chosen one. Don't hear about any encounters with him again. The next time we hear about John and Jesus was in this encounter in Matthew 11. It's also in Luke 7. And this, this actual account that happened in scripture is verbatim. Luke and Matthew worded Identical. They didn't change anything. They didn't add anything perspective-wise because some of the synoptic gospels have the same story but a different perspective. In this case, they didn't deviate at all. John is now in prison. He's in prison because Herod the Great had two two sons at least, uh, Herod Philip and Herod Antipas. Antipas took his his brother Philip's wife, married her while the dude was still alive. That's how bad he was. (laughs) Come on now, that's bad, huh? That, that, that's some that's some stuff, right? I didn't say commit adultery around his back. <laughs> he took her and said, now she's my wife, dude. So John confronted him, said, Man, this ain't right. You live in adultery. And so he put him in prison, but he didn't kill him because people consider John a prophet. So Herod's having a birthday party. His his uh his woman's his new wife's daughter, he asked her to dance for him. And the part of doing the dance cut John's head off. So he's sitting in the prison waiting. And he's hearing all the stuff Jesus is doing. And he sends two of his guys. He said, hey, go see if this is the guy. Or should I be looking for somebody else? Now, there's one or two reasons why Jesus, John would send those guys. One, he's thinking, man, this is the end of my life. I just want to be sure that I gave my life to a cause that was worth dying for. So go out there and make sure he's the guy. But I got another human suspicion. If you got a cousin who's what? Raising the dead, cleansing the leopards, blind seeing, lame walking. Hey, dude. Can you hook a brother up and get me out of jail? <laughs> Come on now, you thinking that now, John? John, I don't know about this in, 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 with, with white pro athletes, but black ones, when you go up, the, when you start getting good, you got more cousins than you know of. <laughs> I was a high end high school player, and uh, one of my buddies went to another uh, rival high school. And uh, he, I bumped into him. He said, hey, man, you got a cousin named Cleophas. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Cleophas is my cousin. He goes, yeah, because dude told me he Because co- people will come out of the woodworks. Hey, yeah, Daryl Flowers. My name at home is not Daryl. It's Daryl. Daryl Flowers, uh, that's my cousin. And some people, I'll be like, "No, oh, that dude ain't related to me. But that's how it is in the pros. Like, you got cousins coming out of the woodwork. At at minimum, they're going to ask for tickets. And the ones who real bold, they're going to ask for money. Now, you imagine John saying, look, I was the guy. I set the trail for you. I got everything ready for you. And now I'm sitting in prison. Here's the amazing thing. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why would John be offended that Jesus was healing the sick and, uh, and, and bringing sight to the blind and the lame walking and lepers getting healed? Why would he be offended by that? The offense was not what he was doing. The offense was what? What he wasn't doing. What's helping him out? See, that's the real test. When you're a new Christian, you know how it works. You pray over every meal. You pray over snacks. You know what I'm saying? That's how how committed you are when you're a new believer. Like, you you go to Starbucks and just get a little scone, and you're like, Jesus, bless the scone, right? And then then you know that scone is blessed, right? (laughs) When you're young in the Lord, it seems like you just ask God for anything like a kid, and it happens, right? But how many of you know that don't last forever? Because God wants you and I to grow up. I got a buddy, plays, play pro sports. John knows him and Chris as well. Andre Wadsworth. Andre was the number three pick in 1998 in the NFL draft. Now third round, one, two, three. He won a, he was, one, he was one of guys, One of few guys who was a defensive player who almost won the Heisman. He was one of the four finalists that went to New York. Only four people get to go to win this, you know, high end college award. He, at that time, had the highest bonus of any rookie to sign up to that point. He married a beautiful model. Andre right now is actually currently the executive pastor of a church over in Scottsdale. If you ever go over there, Impact Church. And let me tell you Andre's backstory, because you're thinking, oh, man, what a life. He living his best life, isn't he? Um, Andre, his first year, starts suffering some issues with circulation and blood flow in his knee surgery. They had to do another surgery. Then he tore his Achilles. Then he tore his other Achilles. And then he had 17 surgeries. Did you hear what I said? Just to play football. Finally, he, he tried out after 17 surgeries and probably five, six, seven, eight years later, he makes the New York Jets for just a a little bit and hung him up. About two, three years ago, I was, my divorce was kind of in the rear view mirror and Andre called. I called Andre just accidentally and he said, oh, did Pastor Jacob, a friend of mutual friend. He tell you what's going on. I said, what are you talking about? He said, uh, yeah, man, um, looks like I might be going through divorce. I'm like, what happened, man? His wife was having a midlife out there doing her stuff, and he went through divorce. And I knew how he felt because I felt like, man, I did the best I could. Now, my best ain't John's best, and John's best ain't my best. I was doing the best what I had, the skills, the knowledge. I could have did better, but you can always do better, right? How many parents in here know you could always do better? You know, you do. look, grandparents are the best parents, right? Because they've been through that thing already, right? Now, we don't listen to the grandparents as much as we should, but grandparents are the best parents. And I was looking at Andre one time and I'm like, dang, dude, still serving Jesus wholehearted. You got to know if you're a Heisman candidate, finalist, football was important in your life. Mm -hmm. This dude's married, got four beautiful daughters. And he's raising four girls by himself. I was just visiting about three months ago. I still think he's super dad. See, the thing is, your stuff is going to be tested. If you're older than here and been a Christian a while, you know what I'm talking about. See, I I got scars on my soul. You can't see them. You talk to me long enough, you'll hear them. But you know what they were a test of? My commitment to God. See, if you're in this thing for God to fix your life, He'll kind of fix it, but God's not interested in ultimately fixing your life. God is interested in you and having a relationship with you and one that can stand the test of life. Forget time, life. You're going to be tested health-wise. Man, you go in there and you get in a regular physical and they say, oops. Hey, we need to bring you back. Some of your tests came out a little out of range. See, that's what prison's all about. I was just reading about Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner's a basketball player, plays in the WNBA. She was on her way out of Russia right as the Russians began to attack the Ukrainians. And on her way out, she got popped with vape, uh, what do you call it, vape uh, pipes or whatever? Huh? Vape, vape, vape pens with CBD in it. Now, in America, we chuckle, ha, 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 you know, yeah, she's going through security. But you know what the Russians did? Stuck her in jail. She'd been over there for about two years. She just got her sentence for nine and a half years. And I just read an article two, three days ago where they sent her to a place called IK2, penal detention, where you might work as much as 17 to 19 hours a day. Rape, abuse, torture are all a part of the activities of the penal system there. See prison is what the place you never want to be. And John is at that place. He in a literal prison, but you might be in that place where your marriage ain't working. And it ain't time to just quit. It's the prison of the pain and the awkwardness. and the, uh, You may be in financial prison where your finances just all messed up. The bottoms dropped out health wise. We all gonna find ourselves in that place where we don't want to be, and that's when we start doing what John did. Hey, are you the one, or should I look for somebody else? Because you're gonna have some other folks come and saying they'll take care of you. But John understood this because Jesus' disciples sent his two disciples back to him. Said, "Tell him what's going on." And when he left, he said are those born among women there's nobody greater up to this point than John the Baptist he had the highest regard for John but even he was concerned what John might quit believing loving being committed to Jesus what about you You love God? See, the question is never does God love you. That's already been proven. He couldn't give you anything better than Jesus' His son. You love God? I'm going to use a dirty word, commitment. It really is. You're going to be tested. You're going to have to face it. It might come relationally. It might come financially. It may come health-wise. But it's going to come. And what will you do? When you're in that place, that prison, that place you don't want to be, that place of awkwardness and feeling uncomfortable. Will you be as committed as you are today? We'll see. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the church here, Lord, that John and Chris are laboring to encourage and support people to grow in their faith. God, I just pray as I talked about commitment, Lord. It's not easy. That's why we admire people with longstanding commitments. So, Lord, I just pray for them. Lord, I pray for every person here that, Lord, as they listen today, that there may be in one or two thoughts that they just had to evaluate themselves. And, Lord, I pray that they would pass the test by the grace of God. The test of health, test of relationship test of finances whatever test they find themselves in lord they would pass god i pray for john and chris continue to give them strength and wisdom as they lead jesus name